great worship. You know, my prayer was that, like I said, from about Hebrews, really the entirety, when he begins, the rite of Hebrews began to speak about that new covenant and what it vanquished sin for all of us. And he begins to reiterate over and over and over and over and over again about the powerful blood of Jesus Christ, that it can wash away any sin from any person if God calls you and you accept his gift. I don't know if Jeffrey Dahmer's heart is any worse than mine or any of ours. His actions showed the type of heart he had. But God was powerful enough to save him of his sins. If it's true, he's around the throne right now praising our God. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the blood of Jesus Christ, the potency of his blood. He who knew no sin, once again, in word, thought, or deed, never sinned, can obliterate any type of man's sins. That's why we should, Victor, you should never look at anyone else and say, boy, he or she is terrible. I can't believe what they did. If not for the grace of God, so go I. It's all about his grace. That's what Hebrews speaks of. We're in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, and I think the Lord, I want to stay on this. I think the Lord, the Holy Spirit continues to tell us this from chapter 6 really on because he repeats himself over and over and over again about the potency of the blood of Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done, if you come to Jesus Christ, but through his grace, by faith, he is capable of bringing you to his kingdom. So don't let the enemy say, hey, what you've did, and no matter how many times you did it, God is through with you. As long as the blood is running warm in your vein, and you know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, you can repent of your sins and go to him. And he will welcome you with open arms. First one says, for the law, having a shadow. Before I start, forgive me, uh, Rick Shabelsky made it home. I think he came home Friday, Thursday, Friday morning. Uh, continue to keep him in your prayers. He's doing well. Uh, just continue to pray for him. We miss you, Rick. For the law, having a shadow of the th good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect, makes them complete, makes them one with God. That's when you're complete, when mankind is in unity, in oneness with Jesus Christ. No matter what you have, no matter what you did, no matter if, if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you're not in Christ, believe me, you're not complete. But you, we can be complete in Christ, and that's what the blood of Jesus Christ does. Colossians tells us that the law was just a shadow. I remember going to a marriage conference once, and the guy gave the example. He had the, the light on, and it was a shadow and he was just hugging and kissing his shadow. And his wife was standing over there. She was casting the shadow, matter of fact. But he was just in love with his shadow. And we were saying, well, he doesn't have the real thing. The shadow is fine, but he's missing out. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. All of these examples and all of these types that comes out of the old covenant 
was only a a shadow of what the old covenant points to. They didn't have the reality. It wasn't until John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was the real thing that he had come. That the law, once again, was a type and was looking forward. That's what the Old Testament is for, to the reality of the things that it reflected. And it says, of course, it was a problem that it was just a shadow, and it could never make those who came to worship, bringing their sacrifices, especially on Yom Kippur, make them complete or perfect. Because the sacrifices themselves were offered year after year, speaking of the Day of Atonement. And there was, there was a testimony. Remember, I told you that the Ark of the Covenant, well, the, the tabernacle is a parable, and it was speaking something to everybody who would come to it. Hey, you haven't arrived yet. The law didn't accomplish anything but to show us that we were a sinner needing to be saved by grace. Verse 2 says, for when, for then would they have not have ceased to be offered. Then they could have stopped being offered if they satisfied the Lord. He was pleased by the worshiper bringing these offerings, but it did not satisfy, could not remove sins. He says, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. That's the problem again. Their conscience wasn't clear. Even after the day of atonement, they'd get back home and say, man, that's good and well, but I still don't feel clean. The propitiation, which is Jesus Christ, all of the wrath of God had not come on him to sear their conscience and saying, hey, I'm, I'm okay now because I believe in Jesus Christ. Bulls and the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do that. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. The law is powerless to do anything about sin. Galatians tells us that. Chapter 3, verse 24 says, Therefore, the law was our tutor, our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law said, you blew it again. You did it again. And finally, you got tired and says, where can I go? And then the law does its job. It takes you to the one who can do something about your behavior. That's Jesus Christ. The Jews every day would have, they would see the morning and the evening sacrifices, but on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, The sacrifice, it was meted out year after year. The sacrifice being offered again was a testimony in and of itself that the sacrificial system, it wasn't removing sin. It was a covering. It only brought to remembrance of their sin. He says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, speaking of Christ the Messiah, came into the world, he said, and he quotes Psalms 40, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. I can see the Godhead. I like football. I can see the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, huddling up and saying, what can we do? Well, we know what we're going to do. Who will we send? And I can see in my mind's eye, Jesus raising his hand and says, I'll go. And I'm going to send you to this virgin that lives in Nazareth. And that's through David. And that's, that happens 500 years after, after the law was given. So if the sacrificial system had the power to cleanse, that's what the writer of Hebrews continues to tell us. It did not have the power. Why would David, their king, and he's arguing with these Hebrews 500 years later, 
would be saying this, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. He had pleasure now. He had pleasure with the worshiper. They were doing what the law had instructed them to do, bringing their sacrifices. It was like they were doing this, but the father had his nose closed saying, I'm accepting this, but it's not satisfying me. I'll put up with this. I'm satisfied with the worshiper bringing these things that I've asked them to bring for, for them to be right with me. I tell you, Moffat said he called it the Levitical drudgery. And he puts it like this. Every time, imagine this if it still happened like this. Every time you sin, there was a wall. No more contact. No more relationship. Speaking of the Old Testament, with the Father with the Godhead, until you brought that lamb or that ram and you offered it, and for a second, you're back in relationship. You're back in fellowship with them. And then you go home and say something you shouldn't have said to your wife or said something to the kids you shouldn't have said, and that wall comes right back up. And you have to go take another lamb or something. And for a second, you get to have that relationship, that fellowship with the Lord. That's the way it was. God wasn't satisfied with that. He says, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Once again, he had pleasure in the worshiper, but it wasn't enough. When Saul sinned and continued to rebel in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, when the prophet rebuked him, Samuel, he said this, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. That's a powerful statement. And then he says, and stubbornness is idolatry. Those are tough words like that, speaking of sin. Yet and still the blood of Jesus Christ can wipe all of that away. There was something God wanted in the heart of the worshiper. He had pleasure in the worshiper, but he took no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats, that sacrifice. There was no pleasure in that. There was pleasure in God's heart, the fact that they, they would do the things he had asked them to do to come into relationship with them in the sacrificial system, in faith in believing they needed atonement and that an innocent substitute could die in their place. But it says, but all the while they were bringing these animals, God was not taking any pleasure in the blood of animals, in the animals that was shed. Because it wasn't taking away sin. Somebody has to take sin away. But it was looking forward to the one that's why he held his nose. He knew all of that all along his son was coming to do something about it. He says, burn offering and sacrifices for sins, I have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, consider this, I have come in the volume of the book to do your will. I don't think Jesus, well, I know by the scriptures, Jesus never did anything that wasn't the Father's will. The only time he cried out was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, if there's any will, if there's any way possible, let this cup be taken away from me. That's the closest I feel that he ever came to submitting to his own will. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I fail that test a lot of times. I know you guys don't, but I fail it sometimes. He says previously in verse 8, saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come 
to do your will, O God. He's saying that in these two things, God does not take pleasure in watching the blood of animals spilt. He didn't have any pleasure in that, but rather a body. Jesus says, you have prepared for me. I come in the volume of the book and so forth and so on to do thy will, O God. He says in that he's saying 500 years after the law. 500 years after the law. Verse 9, he says, he takes away the first, speaking of the sacrificial system, that he may establish the second. He's placing the first covenant, the old covenant, aside with the new covenant that Jesus will bring. Or he wouldn't either, even bother to say it. If the first covenant was effective, which we found out it's not, then Christ would have never said, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to me to do thy will, O God. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified. That word sanctified is a very interesting word. It's by the will of God that we are sanctified. It means permanently. And the author is over and over and over again reiterating certain truths here once again to these Jewish believers because by this time they're scratching their head. He's, he's beginning to get them the lean, leaning over to his side because every day you have to understand they saw the smoke from the temple. They heard the music. They saw the morning and evening sacrifices. They saw their friends going to the temple and asking, you're really falling for this Jesus? You're really falling for this so-called Messiah? Every day they heard the string instruments, beautiful sounding trumpets. Every day they were surrounded with their families. Every day, which would wear on them. That's why Hebrews is written, trying to get them to come back to Judaism. It's just like every day in a, in a believer's life. The world that we live in, it does the same thing. The media around us would do the same thing. The standards around us, the culture we live in, where you can be a boy if you're a girl, or you can be a girl if you're a boy, you can be anything you want to be. We're bombarded by all of this. You can go in a store and take up to $999 of things. God, that just blows me away. You don't even get charged for it. But don't let me start talking about politics, please. Help me out, Lord. I mean, it's crazy. And they say it's okay. Don't be pulled away from this. Because God wants us just like he wants these Hebrews to be in love with him, to obey him. He wants to bring them to understanding that Jesus Christ is superior to everything else in their life. Speaking of Judaism, because that's what they're wrestling with, that the law only could reflect, he says, by the which we are sanctified. Permanently is the idea. We are permanently sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice this. He says, once and for all. He continues to let them know. Once and for all, you're clean. Once and for all. He's going to make this point. Look back at verse 2. He says, if sacrifice and offerings, if they were affected, he says, for the worshiper, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. We talked about this last Sunday. When they would go even on Yom Kippur and, and watch the, the high priest put the blood, well, they didn't see this, put the blood onto the uh, mercy seat, you would have thought they, their conscience would say, okay, you're okay with God. They would leave. We talked about this. no. It's, it's something still eating at me. I, it doesn't feel right. feels like I'm still far away from the Lord because they were. And it was like 
the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son holding their nose, waiting until the Son accomplished salvation for them. He says, but Christ, through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ, notice, has died once and for all and sanctified us. And that is permanently. He sanctified us permanently. That once was affected. Doesn't have to be repeated again. For all, in every age, is still affected. He says in verse 11, and every priest stands. I love the King James. This is what I miss about the King James when I'm not reading it. It, it, it cheats for you. It puts that E-T-H on it. He says, stand death. That means it's continually. He's continually standing. It's pointing out a tense. He continues to stand. But when it says standeth or believeth, it's pointing us to a present tense. And in this, in this one verse, it stresses that the temple had to be standing in 70 AD. It had not been destroyed yet because they were still having those sacrifices. And that's what the other Jews were struggling with. Hey, they're still offering bulls and goats. And here we are believing in a Messiah, Jesus, who they just buried. That's the struggle they were having. Every priest, and we went over this before, every high priest, there were no seats, there were no benches. When they went to work, they were working, and they stood constantly because they were busy slitting the throats of a ram or a bull and taking care of the flesh and taking care of the hide. They did not have time to sit. That's the reality of what was going on in the temple every day. But Jesus by the Holy Spirit says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. They're standing every day. This is the third or fourth time we've read this. He tells us that Christ is seated. Once again, no seats in the tabernacle, no benches, because their work was never finished. Because they were only a type of Jesus Christ. But over and over, he tells us that Christ, after he has rendered his sacrifice, he sits down at the right hand of God, resting. And he's resting in his completed work. And the fact that he, is, he was able to sit down after the sacrifice means it was offered once and for all. It never needs to be repeated. I don't know about you. I'll tell on myself sometimes. But sometimes it says, God, I remembered when I did that. I can't believe I did that. Many years ago after I was saved, and I know the enemy of bring it back up to me. And I'll say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. You separate my sins as far as the east is from the west. They will never be remembered again. That's the potency of the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't let the enemy bring those sins up to you because Jesus has washed them away. You know, the beauty of that, when we struggle, when we fall short, Christ doesn't have to die ever again. Christ is not offered every Sunday at the mass. They have that wrong. That's over and over and over again in regards to a priesthood. He's saying that he died once and for all, never to be repeated. And the beautiful thing for that, and you and I, we know this, we can go to him we can confess our sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from our sins, from all unrighteousness. Because when he died, as they sang the song, it paid for all our sins, past, present, and future. We have a lot of, or we're having a lot of little babies at CR, and I love it. I kid Pastor Jonathan. I always tell him, you know, 
I won't see the fruit of all these little kids. But Pastor Jonathan, you probably will. You'll see them in, when, they're, when they're growing up and they're having the youth group and all these things. So he'll get to see the fruit of all that. But the Lord spoke to me. He said, you know what? Even these babies, even when they're in their mom's stomach, I died for them. It's like a present that's just sitting there waiting. You're you're born into this world, even in the mom's belly, the present is waiting for you. Some people open that present early in life. Some people open that present middle-aged in life. Some people won't open that present until they're on their deathbed. The present is still great, still great. It's just when do you want to open it up? Because Jesus, price, the price that he's paid is completely sufficient, and it's for perpetuity in this life. And he sat down at the right hand of God forever. He says in verse 13, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Work is still done by us. He's seated. He's waiting for the consummation of all things until Satan is crushed under his feet for good. His enemies will be made his footstool. He says, for by one offering... He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's great news. It's like, and my wife never does this. When my wife, (laughs) I can't help it. When my wife gets on to me about something, she might, let let me say, what, what would Lydia say? You're not perfect. When your wife says that or one of your kids tell you that you're not perfect, You can shoot back at them now. I I was just reading this. I said, there's some ammunition I can use. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. There's a verse for you. It says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever. I'm perfected forever. That word perfected, hygazio. It's the same word used for saints. Saints are not those little things you see on people's dashboards, saint this and saint that. We're saints because we've been perfected. That's what the Bible says. We know the Bible does not lie. We're saints. And that's what the Holy Spirit is telling us. For by one offering, the offering of Jesus Christ, his blood has been spilt. We've been redeemed, has perfected us forever. So if I blow it today, and I don't intend to blow it, but if I blow it today, I can fall back on forever. That's a good feeling. But if I love the Lord, I will want to walk with him and do the things I should do. Forever those who are being sanctified, we are saints. We're saints, we're perfected. That's on God's side of the equation. And that's the only side that matters. He's imputed that to us when I believed in him. When you believed in him, he gave us this. We're justified. We're sanctified. We're glorified. We don't see it yet. But when Jesus Christ, when the Godhead looks at us, we're glorified. We're already in heaven. That's what the Bible says. He's the one that calls things as they are. That are not those that are that are. Because where he stands, we have to understand it's timeless. He's out of the time-space continuum. And that's great, a great place to be in. And he sees his work completed and our lives perfected because we are in Christ Jesus. That should speak to us. We should learn to appropriate that those things by faith because the enemy will come and says, hey, you blew it today. You're never going to change. God is not going to forgive you this time. And we know when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue. He's a liar. He's the father of lies from the beginning. He wants you to sit down. He wants you to give up. That's why we have to take hold 
of the word of Jesus by faith. This world, you know, it plays so much to our flesh in its advertising, in the media, and everything else. There's so much that plays to our physical appetites. We have to be careful to standards that are in contrast with the scriptures, what the scriptures has to say to us, that we really as individuals, when I look in the mirror and I say, how can the Lord love me? That thought I played with, that action I did, how can you love me? And I have to think about what the word tells me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible is my anchor, not how I feel, not what the world thinks of me and says about me, the Bible is my anchor. That's what I have to hold on to. That's the truth. He says in verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever, forever those that are sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses, and it's in the tense, it's constantly witnessing putting this on our hearts to us after he had said before, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord Jehovah, I will put my laws into into their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. Notice this. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. He chooses not to remember That's what he does, and that's emphatic. Their sins and their iniquity, I will positively remember no more. He says, the Holy Spirit said this speaking through Jeremiah, but this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And will be their God. They shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. So he says this what the Holy Spirit is constantly telling us, trying to get us to understand the truth that Christ died once and for all. He said, this is the very thing the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. He's writing to these Hebrews once again and telling them there's a subjective experience here. It's intuitive. It's personal. That has to be real. We have to understand this. It can't just be, you know, I heard this from somebody else. I heard somebody else say this or I grew up in church, therefore I believe it. It doesn't work like that. We, we've had many people grow up in church and go the wrong way. So it takes more than that. You can come to church all of your life. That doesn't make you a believer. That doesn't make you a Christian. It has to be something that's real in your life. And part of what you and I believe It has to be objective also, unbiased. There's truth that comes to us, but part of what we believe, it is subjective, and it has to be real to us. It has to be, God, you have to know that you know that you know that you're in the family of God. If the Holy Spirit indwells you, Ephesians says that's our down payment of what's left is still waiting for us. So is the Holy Spirit in you? And then if he's in you, 
You ought to feel blessed, and, 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 and he's the one that's carrying you. He's the one that's making you move and do the right things because you love him. Once again, these first century believers did not have the entirety of the scriptures. When they would read the Old Testament, they would say, hey, this is why I'm doing this, because I'm a believer. The Old Testament verified to them that they were believers. How would you just like to have the Old Testament these days? A lot of us would be like a goat in a hailstorm if we only had the Old Testament. <laughs> but that's what they were using. They didn't have the New Testament. They could see Jesus all the way in the Old Testament and say, I'm doing that. I know what he's speaking about. Deep speaking to deep because you're one with Christ. And he's just co-signing to what you already know in the New Testament. That's what he does. That's subjective truth. Peter said, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Philippians tells us, who has begun a good work in us will carry it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit should be continually telling us, continually taking us deeper in the word. And it's the first thing that we've ever heard, and he's continually taking us deeper. I should know more about the Lord today, and I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm talking about knowing his ways than I knew when I first started my journey. And I'm, once again, I'm not speaking of head knowledge. I should know his ways. When storm clouds come upon me today, I have been walking with the Lord to know. You have been walking with the Lord long enough to know, oh, they're here, but they're not going to last. My God is faithful. I can trust him. I can depend on him. I don't know how he's going to make a way out of no way now. I still don't know that sometimes. But my confidence is in him that he will. And that's what he's speaking of. That's why Jesus says, look at the lilies. Look at the, the birds. They're not worried about a thing. Your heavenly father feeds them, and you are much more valuable than they are. So when every trial comes, I take that. I say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I don't even have to know. I'm just living life. That's your job. I'm married to you. I don't have to worry. You're going to take care of it. Now, I don't do that perfectly all the time, but I do it more perfectly than I did at the beginning of my journey because I'm growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's faithful. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. He's faithful in saving us. And the more we realize the reality of this, you see, life, I don't know if you guys know it, but you're believers, so you should know it. Life is passing us by. Every day we wake up, we're happy, we're, we're awake. But you put that day in the, in the column, you won't get to do that one again. It's passing us by. But spiritually, we're growing. We're maturing. And that should keep us in our eyes and our hearts set on Jesus Christ. Once again, we're not only being transformed into an image of Jesus Christ, hopefully, but we're going to a place. He's getting it ready for us. And he's letting us know, hey, you're going to be with me one day. Everything that you're reading and you're expositoring on me, you're giving these Bible studies on me, you're going to meet me one day. Does that put a smile on our face? Because it should. 
That's what Jesus is trying to let these Hebrews understand. You're just not doing a Bible class. This is going to happen. He says in verse 18, now where remission of these is, where these are sent away, there is no more offering for sin. He says, this is his third time saying, you don't need another offering for sin. And then he begins his exhortation in verse 19. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness, you and I, all of us, that's part of our privilege to have boldness, to enter the holiest, and that's by the blood of Jesus, and it's boldness, it's boldness of speech is what he's speaking of. You know, it's, it takes boldness of speech to cry out, Father God. What do you mean calling God your Father? You can't be that intimate. You shouldn't be that close to God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That takes bold, that's what he means, boldness of speech to say this. Well, we have that boldness of speech through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's wanting them to understand. I can call him Father. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest, I can be sitting in my car in traffic and I can bow my heart and go to the holiest place in the universe. That's amazing. Or here in the sanctuary, as Emily begins to lead us in worship, I can enter into the holiest place in the universe. That's being bold. Even though I may have fought with my wife before coming to church, even though I could walk through the door out front and somebody asked me how I'm doing and I give a smart answer, I can come right in here and sit down and the worship team begins to pray and I can go be entered right into the heaven. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We have that because Jesus Christ is our ticket to do that. I don't have to go take any mask. I don't have to grovel to get to the Lord the blood has been paid. I said, Lord, forgive me for what I said. And I'm into his throne room and he welcomes me there. That's the potency of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that. My fellowship, if I sin, I ask him to forgive me. First John says, I'm right back into my relationship. He never gives me a grudge or acts cold to me because I blow it. He never does that. I might feel that way, and I should probably feel that way, but Jesus never does that. He welcomes me in. That's powerful. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again, complete? He says that at the beginning of what I started reading. I want to be, it could never make, the blood of bulls and goats could never make me complete. The word perfect means complete, makes me complete with him. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Wow. Hallelujah for that. That's amazing. That's who we have on our side. I'm going to say, you know, I wonder sometimes why doesn't people, why, why don't people just rush to the cross? Knowing all this, why don't they just run to the cross? I didn't run to the cross. I know it, but why, why don't they, knowing all of these things, why don't they run to the cross? If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled because the God of this world has blinded the minds that they can't see the truth of the gospel. That's why we continue to tell people of Jesus Christ and his love. That's why we should never be judgmental toward unbelievers. 
because they can't put it together unless the Lord is drawing and pulling and tugging on them. We just don't give sin its due. When we enter this world, we are sinners and we are locked into sin. And unless the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit makes a move and begins to call and begins to woo and and begins to draw, we will stay locked in our sins. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to set the captives free. That's why we worship him. That's why we praise him. That's why we glorify him because nothing else in this world, and man can come up with many of things, and none of them can set us free from our sin except the blood of Jesus Christ. That's amazing to me. We should give him praise for that. He says in verse 20, by a new and living, what that word means, prophatos in the Greek, living, it means lately slaughtered. 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit put that word in, lately slaughtered, freshly killed, recently made new. Wow. The blood is living. It's not dried up blood. You've seen dry blood and you scrape it off. It's just like it was put up there a second ago. It's living, lately slaughtered for sin. No matter how long you've been on, in sin, wallowed in sin, or you just, you think you just tipped your toes in the water of sin, It still covers you, and it takes that lately fresh blood of Jesus Christ to set you free, to set the captives free. It's by a newly slain and and living way which he consecrated. He set aside for us through the veil. That is, and notice what it says, that is his flesh. Remember Speaking of this veil and his flesh, remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden? Help me out. I, I, I'm getting old, plus the aneurysm. I can use that. When, when, when he, and the Bible says, Genesis says, he just says, hey, y'all get out of here. They didn't want to go. And the Bible says he drove them out. What was that thing he put? to keep them away from the the door? Help me out. Yeah, a cherubim and a flaming sword to keep them out. Well, in the holies of holies, before you went in there, the cherubim was on the curtain saying, you can't come in here. We allow the high priest to come in here once a year, but try coming in here. You You won't come out. The cherubim was still there reminding them that, hey, I know you might want a relationship with Yahweh, but you can't have one. The way hasn't been paved. It hasn't been made. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us, verse 20, by a new and freshly slaughtered way, uh, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Jesus Christ made a way for us to have this relationship with God. And having a high priest over the house of God, remember this is the day of atonement. That's what he's speaking of. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, and then he tells us his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. And now he gives us three responsibilities here. Verse 22, verse 23, verse 24. And it says, this is all of us. This is what we should be doing. He says, let us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. No need to doubt if you've given your life to the Lord. He says, full assurance of faith. 
Notice that word faith. Then he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Then he says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love. There it is, faith, hope, and love. That's what the Apostle Paul speaks of constantly. Faith, hope, and love. Verse 22 again, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith versus doubt because that's what you have to push through. We have to push through any doubt always to get to faith. Having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, that evil conscience, I don't think I'm saved. That evil conscience, I blew it today. Will the Lord still accept me tomorrow? From an evil conscience and our bodies wash with pure water. He's speaking of inward cleansing here. Then he says, Paul said this, forgetting those things that are behind. That's what we need to learn to do. I press forward to the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. We have to understand that. He says in the latter part of verse 22, having our hearts sprinkled, Once again, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Because if we don't do these things, he tells us in the second chapter not to let these things slip. That's why he reminds us again, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What is your hope this morning? Is it to be financially secure? Is that what your hope is? You have the wrong hope if you have that wrong, if you have that. My Bible tells me that everything that can be shaken will be shaken in these last days. We need to be standing on that solid rock of Jesus Christ. He's always sound and secure. Without wavering, for he who promised once again is faithful. Our inheritance is undefiled, incorruptible. And then he says, and fadeth not away. Wow. And lastly, he says, and let us consider one another. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. He says, let us continually be considering one another for this reason, in order to stir, that word you probably have in your translation, provoke love and good works. That means to encourage. Verse 25 It's fitting, and we'll stop here. We all know that COVID, when it was really in its heyday, maybe it still is, I don't know. Maybe I just got tired of it and say, I'm going to live my life. (laughs) And it, it was a tragedy, and it still is. But COVID also, I remember saying this to the fellowship. COVID for the church is like that little frog that was put in the beaker and little by little turned the heat up. He had got comfortable. And I would say, don't get comfortable sitting at home because we need to come back to church. And COVID has run through the church People would rather watch online and things like that. I I can understand if you're sick and things like that. But the Holy Spirit knew COVID was was coming before it got here. And he tells us, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching Christ coming. How can we provoke one another to love and good works if we don't see one another? That's where where I'm getting at. We look at the model of the church in Acts chapter 2. It says they were daily with one another, breaking bread, going house to house, 
in fellowship and prayer. That's the model. They had this cornania, and they had this cornania, this together, this sweet-smelling aroma to the body. He, God didn't mean just at church. We should be doing life with one another, spending time with one another. That's why I'm so excited we're going to start doing these home groups after, right after Easter. House to house on Wednesday, the closest one to your home, you go there, eat dinner, just going through a book. We'll be going through Daniel, by the way. Start reading up on it. I'll be doing Revelation, Lord willing, right here on Sunday. But it's something special about Cornania. How's your life going? Is everything okay with you? And you begin to pour into one another's life. That's what they did. That's what the church is about. And when you don't come on Sunday, help me out, the church is also called what? The body of Christ. As I was thinking about this, I said, it would be like, if I don't see you on Sunday, say I'm walking around with one arm because I'm not complete. Danny is never here on Sunday. Where's my arm? And Danny comes to church on Sundays every once in a while. And I said, oh, there's my arm. Come here. I'm not complete. Then all of a sudden, I'm complete. It has to, come on, help me out. It has to be like that. We're the body of Christ. So if you're not here and I can't pour into you, you're not helping me out because I need my arm, especially my right arm, to shoot jumpers. <laughs> but if I, I don't have my arm until Sunday, I'm incomplete, you guys. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. You might have a word just for me, but I can never get full of that where I can never be complete because you're not here. That's what... The Holy Spirit is saying this. Don't get mad at me. Oh, Victor, Victor wants, PV wants us here every Sunday. I just want you here so I can be complete with my jump shot. It must be important. The Holy Spirit says this. He, he says this, not me. Every one of you are important to the body. The worship team can come up. I can't play a guitar. I used to could sing, but I'm too old now. I can't even hold a, hold a tune anymore. One of these days I might try, but not, 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 not like I used to. But everyone is needed. I look at the faces. I see the smiles. Believe it or not, when you're not here, I'm at a dilemma. Once, I'm telling on myself now, Lydia. One Sunday goes by, and I said, oh, then, then so-and-so wasn't here today. Two Sundays go by. Should I be the pastor that calls and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. What's going on? I hardly ever do that. But don't miss three Sundays. <laughs> I might do it then. <laughs> you guys are needed for the body. Iron sharpens iron. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. Your smiles, your, 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 your rebukes, all of those things are needed. God has placed us here. Don't ever think, oh, if, if I'm not here, nobody's going to miss me. They don't talk to me anyway. Shame on us. We should be talking to everybody here, loving on everybody here. But you're needed because you're a part of the body of Christ. And my Jesus does not make mistakes. If he puts you in this body... You're needed in this body. Let's pray. Lord, I could be redundant and probably am, but your word is redundant when it comes to the blood of Jesus Christ. Because Satan will say, you blowed it, and you didn't blow it one time. You've blew it so many times, it's redundant, and you think Jesus can save you? You spat in his face just like Judas? You denied him just like Judas did? You think 
he would save you. You think he can save you. My Bible tells me not only that he can, but he's hungry and he's willing to save us. That tells me two things. That tells me that I serve the risen Savior who nothing can keep him but from saving me but myself. Number two, and that hell is such a terrible place that he does not want anyone to go there. We're living in the days of grace. Salvation is free. And the doorkeeper is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And anyone who feels that tug of the Holy Spirit that they need to give their life to Jesus, let him come. Let him come. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. That's the Savior I gave my life to. He's willing, he's able to save. That's why we worship him. That's why we love him. Father God, I pray that no matter what any of us may have did, if we've given our lives to Jesus, Nothing can stand against him. Lord, let us be reassured of the blood of Jesus Christ. And let us serve him because of the mighty things he has done for us. And I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand and